We're going to turn to read the Bible now, so I'm going to invite Edward up to read for us from 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, a short reading today. And this is on page 1192 uh, of the Church Bible. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing to you with these instructions, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the uh, church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Thank you. Do uh, keep that passage open. That's what we're going to be looking at together. But let me pray for us now. Father God, I pray that you would be helping us now to uh, honour you in the way that we listen. Pray that you would be teaching us and growing us. We pray that you would be spurring us on to keep loving and living for the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas is a, a time for singing old songs, isn't it? Bringing out the time, time-honoured classics, whether for you in your house that is the traditional carols uh, or perhaps the Christmas number ones or, or however that works for you. Uh, I found a new album this week, which I think is going to become a classic in my house, where it kind of takes a lot of the old carols and does them in a new way. And it's fantastic. It's got a brilliant mix of those things. But we do love those old songs at Christmas. And what we just read, what Edward just read for us in that part of the Bible is perhaps one of the oldest. You might not recognize it as a Christmas song. Um, Michael Bublé's never sung this one as far as I know, but it should be on our playlist. If you look at our, uh, in your Bibles at verse 16, uh, you'll see right there it's formatted slightly differently, isn't it? Uh, and it's done that way because everybody agrees that Paul is quoting from a song. It's probably a hymn, a verse of a hymn uh, they would have sung at church. So this is a seriously old hymn from the earliest days of Christianity. And it's a hymn all about Jesus. That is who the he is in that verse. He, Jesus is the one who did all of these things. We're singing about Jesus. Uh, but why? Why is this bit quoted here? Why is this there? Well, there had been people in Timothy's church who were ditching the truth entirely, who were downplaying the importance of living obedient lives. And, and so Paul wrote this letter of 1 Timothy to encourage his friends to keep leading the church in the truth and towards godliness. So he says that there, see it in verse 14 and 15. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So he's saying this is about how Christians ought to behave. And how Christians ought to behave is absolutely tied to the truth. So the church of God, it's described here as the pillar and foundation of the truth. And we might expect that to be the other way round. You might think, isn't the truth the foundation of the church? Isn't that what we're built on? And that's absolutely right. But it's true this way round as well, that in a sense the church is the solid base on which the truth 
rests. So if you want to know the truth, the church is where to go. The church, that is us, holds up and holds out the truth the way that pillars hold up the roof. It's not saying here that everything every church ever does or says is always right. But it is saying if we want to know the truth, look at what Christians have always believed. And there you'll find the truth. Verse 16, it begins, beyond all question. Beyond all question. That means we're talking about truths that are not up for debate. These are settled, agreed facts. There's no room for disagreement, no need for discussion. Literally, those words mean we all say the same thing. We all say the same thing. This is beyond all question. What is it that we all say beyond all question? When he says, well, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Now remember in, in the Bible, a mystery, it's not something secret, it's not something Poirot investigates. Uh, a mystery is something that used to be hidden, but God has now revealed. It's a, a present, if you like, that used to be all wrapped up, it's now been unwrapped and everybody can see what it is. It's talking about the gospel, the truth, and that leads to godly living. And he's saying this mystery that godliness springs out of, it is great, it is amazing, it is huge, it is awesome. The truth that God has revealed that changes our lives is mind-blowingly powerful and wonderful. So that's quite a setup, isn't it? For us to say this amazing mystery of God that will absolutely transform our lives. We all agree it is mind-blowing. Well, what is it? What is that truth that changes our lives? It is this, that Jesus appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirits, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Six things that we're told, six verbs, six uh, actions. Appeared, vindicated, seen, preached, believed, taken up. And between those actions, we're being told the story of Jesus. We're being told about his coming. We're being told about how his coming was proclaimed. We're being told about how that message was received. And all of this here is supposed to fill us with confidence in Jesus. Keep us living for him. Keep us remembering how great it is, that truth, that mystery that godliness springs from. If we're going to hold on to the truth, if we're going to hold that out, if we're going to live right, we're going to need to hang on to these things. So we're going to go through that short little song and be encouraged. So the first thing, that Jesus appeared in the flesh. This is the most obviously Christmassy bit, isn't it? That Jesus appeared in the flesh. When God came into the world, he, he didn't just appear in a vision or float in like a ghost and float out again or, or write a message in the sky. We're being told that when God came, he appeared in the flesh, in a body. We can get very familiar with this, but uh, C.S. Lewis brings out the surprise when he says, the incarnation itself ought to shock us. Divine humility that decreed God should become a baby. He says, the incarnation is in that sense an incurably irreverent doctrine and Christianity an incurably irreverent religion. It does sound irreverent, doesn't it? It does sound sort of a bit, are we allowed to say that? God in a nappy? Are we allowed to say that? God in a manger? In the flesh? With a body like us? Yes, we are allowed to say that. In fact, we have to say that. That is exactly what he did and how he came. 
Now, the verb bit in here is the appeared. It doesn't say born, it says appeared. Now, of course, he was born. But using the word appeared here is telling us that he existed before his birth. That, unlike you and me, his conception is not when he began. It's just when he appeared, when he arrived on the scene. His birth wasn't his start. It is when the invisible God appeared. Kent Hughes Brian and Brian Chapel they put it like this. They say, the eternal son, the architect and judge of the universe, who is without beginning and without end, so to speak, stood at the rim of the universe and dove headlong in, past a billion stars, through the Milky Way and into the womb of the Virgin Mary, where he swam and grew until his birth that cold winter's night. It's an astonishing truth, isn't it? But it's one beyond all question that the creator of the world appeared in the flesh. Now, if you've been coming to evening services, uh, you would have picked up, I've been quoting Athanasius quite a lot, um, uh, one of the early church fathers. And and I'm going to quote him once more, probably the last one of the year. But anyway, um, he explains why Jesus did it. Why did he appear in the flesh? And he says this, he became what we are so that we might become what he is. There's Christmas in a nutshell in a sense. He, he became what we are so that we might become what he is. He took on flesh like we have to rescue us back to what we should be. He entered the world where we are to bring us where he is forever. The great mystery, how to live how to really live was solved, answered, revealed when Christ appeared. Don't miss the scale of this. This is amazing, life-changing stuff. As God himself appeared as a man. But coming in the flesh, it, it might seem like a bit of a shameful thing to do. It's a bit of a step down, isn't it? And it is a step down. It's certainly a painful thing. And it is amazing, isn't it, that that Jesus was willing to go through it. We're going to sing a couple of songs later on, things like, yes, he walked my road and he felt my pain, or tears and smiles like us, he knew. He was willing to enter all of its pain and difficulty. But you might think, well, did it prove to be a terrible mistake? Did he regret doing that? Or perhaps we're mistaken about who he is. Perhaps he wasn't God in the flesh. He was just some other random bloke. Well, the next statement in our Christmas carol says, no, not at all. Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. He was vindicated by the Spirit. To be vindicated is to be proved right. So imagine you're, you're watching TV uh, and you say to everyone, oh, it's that, um, it's that, lady from the film that we saw the other day it's that woman from the film we saw the other day and everybody says no it's not it doesn't look anything like her it's not no it absolutely is that same it's that same no it's not and so you stop watching and start googling maybe this is just me and you find yes it absolutely is look at this imdb says she was in this program and she was in this film i knew it and you show it and everybody obviously is enjoying this as much as they were enjoying the program you're watching they look at it and they're forced to admit that you were correct You've been vindicated. You've been shown to be in the right. Everybody was saying, what? No. And then you were proved to be right. And this is what the Holy Spirit did for the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit vindicates him, proves that he was absolutely right. 
The Spirit vouches for him. He silences all of the doubters and the naysayers. And he does that in lots of ways. Uh, The Spirit inspired the prophets who made all of those predictions which Jesus fulfilled. The Spirit descended on Jesus visibly at his baptism for all to see. So if anyone's going, uh, lots of people getting baptized, well, we know he is the one to watch because of the Spirit vindicating him. The Spirit empowered Jesus to perform those miracles. Signposts, if ever there was, that we should listen to this man in the flesh, that he actually is a lot more than that. But I think most of all, this is talking about the resurrection. That in his fragile flesh, Jesus was crucified. He was dead. He was buried. Everybody watching would have thought, what a failure, a fake, a fraud. Until that Sunday morning when he was vindicated by being raised to life again. Romans 8 verse 11 says it was the Spirit who raised him from the dead. Romans 1 verse 4 says it was the Spirit who declared him to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. See the Holy Spirit vindicates Jesus. The Christ who came in the flesh was raised in the flesh and so anyone who thought he was gone is wrong. If you thought he was finished, no, he will never be finished. The Holy Spirit makes that abundantly clear that he appeared at Christmas, was vindicated at Easter. So from his birth to his resurrection, we can be absolutely certain about Jesus. Then after that sort of first pair of things uh, the hymn takes a bit of a turn it's been talking about Jesus life and his mission and now it starts focusing on the the witnesses of his mission the people who saw it and passed it on it's talking about the angels and the apostles so let's let's start with the angels it says Jesus was seen by angels again I told you it was a Christmassy song didn't I lots of angels don't think about angels very much throughout the year and then suddenly we get to Christmas and all the heavenly hosts come out and we suddenly remember that angels are a thing But angels were witnessing Jesus and witnessing about Jesus throughout his life. Angels like Gabriel telling Mary and Joseph what was about to happen. Angels telling the shepherds to go and see what it is, go and find out for themselves. Angels who assisted Jesus after his temptation, comforted him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Angels who witnessed his resurrection, who told the first visitors to his grave that he is not here. He has risen. Angels who stood by the apostles watching Jesus ascend into heaven. Angels who told them to stop gawping at the sky and get to work, spreading the good news. As soon as they've been given the Holy Spirit, get on with it. Angels who will return with him when he comes again, who are right now worshipping him. Jesus was seen by angels. The word angel means messenger, and that is what angels do, isn't it? They're sort of heavenly postmen as they deliver messages, as they say, look at this man. Listen to him. Here is who he is. Here's how to respond. They don't show up all the time. That You read the Bible. Uh, if you haven't read the Bible very much before, you might expect there to be angels all throughout it, but angels don't come up very much. Uh, they're pretty rare to make a cameo but then when Jesus appears suddenly these messengers are absolutely everywhere drawing our attention to him so can I encourage you to hark to listen to what they say they've seen it all they can be trusted when they point out that Jesus is the Christ 
the Saviour King. But we don't just listen to them. We need to listen to the apostles as well. And I think that's what the next bit is saying, that Jesus was seen by angels. Jesus was preached among the nations. He was preached among the nations. This message, this mystery, was not kept a secret. The people who saw Jesus, who knew Jesus, spread the word. Jesus was preached among the nations. So we have reliable eyewitnesses who passed on what they saw. We can read for ourselves what Jesus said and did. He wasn't just seen by other people. Good for them, you might say. They got to see him. I never got to see him. What about me? Well, no, we're being told here we don't need to miss out because the people who saw Jesus preached Jesus. They spoke. They wrote. They declared openly everything that they knew. Jesus was preached among the nations. So all these things we're talking about, this is not niche. This is not private. This is not something of of limited relevance to a few people. This has always been public. What are we doing when we get together like this in, in church? Jesus is not somebody we sort of gather for ourselves for private admiration. Whether that is just something I do on my own every now and again, read my Bible, or I come to church and we get together with this. No, he was made for sharing, if you like. That is why we, we had our Christmas meal on Friday night, to share good food, absolutely, but also to share good news. That is why we're having the carol service next Sunday, because yes, it is for us, and I pray that we come and we get lots out of it, but it is also not to be kept to ourselves. It's to be spreading this message far and wide. So can I encourage us all to be speaking to others about Jesus? To be inviting people to come and hear other people who will speak about Jesus. In the words of another carol, to go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. Go shout it from the rooftops. Because from day one, that is what's been happening. Jesus was and is preached among the nations. And by the nations, that means everybody. It's not just talking about God's old covenant people of Israel. This is saying that he was preached among the nations, among every nation, every people group. Not just people like us, but people very unlike us. The same message for everybody, that anyone can come to know God through Jesus Christ can come to know him through the salvation that he brings. Let's praise God for that. And praise him as well that our evangelism is not just shouting into the void. We're not just trying to pass on a message nobody wants to hear. Although some people will reject it. Look at what the next statement tells us. Jesus was believed on in the world. Jesus was believed on in the world. These final two statements are about the reaction to this news about Jesus. We've had what he came and did. We've had the people who saw it and let it be known. And now kind of what's the reaction to that? It's a bit of a damp squib, is it? Or is it, do people actually respond? Well, no, Jesus was believed on in the world. If it wasn't true, you would expect it not to catch on very well much. But think of the sheer numbers of people who have believed in him and the way that it started from nothing from just a handful of people and so quickly spread the mission of the church in spreading this good news has always 
and will always succeed. Now, many people will reject him, but it's still true that he's believed on in the world. Now, this is telling us here as well that the, that's the right response, isn't it? It's not just he was preached among the world and then you're supposed to go, oh, okay, interesting. No, the right response to that is believing in him, believing on him, which is an interesting phrase, isn't it? All the benefits that he brings are received by faith. We need to hear about Jesus and then believe on him. I think it's quite striking, really. We're told about this mystery, the mystery from which true godliness springs. Oh, what's that going to be? What's going to be the thing from which real godly living comes? The mystery that godliness springs from is not a command that we sort ourselves out. The mystery that gets revealed to go, right, here's the message you need. Right, buck your ideas up. Here's a big long list of do's and don'ts for us to accomplish. No, we're told the thing, the mystery that brings godliness to our lives is a message for us to believe. It's by believing in Jesus, by trusting in him, that we are forgiven and transformed. It's not that faith saves us and then hard work later on makes us grow and get better. No, it is grace, faith, all the way down. This is beyond all question that Jesus is and was believed on in the world. But it's great. The way that it finishes shows us it's not just in the world that he was given a good reception. Heaven receives him too. And that's the last of the statements. Jesus was taken up in glory. Was taken up in glory. At Christmas, we're celebrating when he came down. This is celebrating when he went back up again, when he was taken up in glory. I don't think this is just about the fact that Jesus ascended into heaven. It's about what happened when he got there. Uh, imagine you popped out to the shop. Maybe nobody noticed you'd gone. Uh, you come back and you say, I'm back. And there's a resounding nothing. Or, oh, where have you been? I didn't even realize you'd gone. That's not a great welcome home, is it? But instead, imagine uh, it is Christmas Eve and you've been sent out for some last minute stuff. And this is Christmas will be ruined if you have not managed to get these things. You've been gone a long time. People are getting worried. They hear your key in the door. Everybody comes running to me. Did you get it? Did you manage to get it? I got it, you say. And I'm, Yay, fantastic. That's a silly example. Uh, but you get that idea, didn't you? That, that, that Jesus doesn't sort of sneak in through the side door of heaven and say, I'm back. And go, oh, okay, good. Is it all right? Yep. No, it says he was taken up. That's an idea of being welcomed in, taken up like somebody wins the cup and you take them up on your shoulders and march them around. He's received with honor. Think about ticker tape parades, a big welcome home party or a coronation, more likely. They, he was born in poverty. He was killed in disgrace. But he was raised in power and taken up in glory. He's finished his mission. He's completely obeyed everything he had to do. He has utterly succeeded. And so heaven receives him back as the conquering hero. Gives him the name above every name. Sits him on the throne. And this is all part of the Christmas story. We can just take our little snippet of it and go, no, no, no. Just the baby, just the baby, thank you. 
But actually, no, this is what it's all about. It begins with this descent, this lowering of himself down, 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 down to Bethlehem, down even further to the cross. But it ends back high where we began, higher than before, because of his vindication and our rescue. But it's all the same Jesus. When Jesus became a man, it wasn't temporary. As one writer put it, Jesus did not unzip his skin suit as he rose from sight. He was taken up in glory in his human body. Right now, there is a man on the throne in heaven. There is a human being like us ruling and reigning over everything. Because in his incarnation, Jesus forever brought humanity right into the heart of what it is to be God. Took on flesh forever. Not like a sort of novelty Christmas jumper. You might wear it for a little bit. You're sort of itching to take it off as soon as you get home. Jesus truly became flesh and ascended to heaven as flesh. And that's one way we can be assured of our place in heaven because there is a human being right there, right now, on the throne. He's no longer the, the helpless baby asleep in the hay. He is no longer the executed reject. He is the risen Christ, reigning in glory and majesty. And from that glory, he is going to return and bring us to glory with him. Jesus appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. This is the mystery. This is the great truth that we all agree on, all believers in Jesus anyway. And it really ought to make our heart sing. It might not have seemed like much of a song at first glance, but it is wonderful, isn't it? The way that it points us to Jesus, it shows us more of who he is. There is real comfort here. When we feel that we're alone, when we feel that God is far off, remember that Jesus appeared in the flesh. He came to us as one of us, becoming what we are so that we could become what he is. When we worry, perhaps, that we've backed the wrong horse by trusting in Jesus. Remember, he was vindicated by the Spirit. Those undeniable miracles, his victorious resurrection, assure us that he has been proven true. And one day, all of our hope in him will also be vindicated as well. When we fear, perhaps, that we're mistaken, remember all of those witnesses that he was seen by the angels who were sent to explain what was happening and drawing attention to it. When we're embarrassed, we want to keep it to ourselves. Let's remember Jesus preached among the nations. This has never been just for us. He is for all and has to be preached to all. When we're despondent and we think we're the only ones left, the faithful few, Remember, Jesus was believed on in the world. People all over the world and across the centuries have accepted this message and will go on doing so. And when we doubt God's in control, remember he was taken up in glory. That right now, that is where he is, ruling and reigning in power and glory, working everything out 
according to his good plan as our glorious king. So as we're thinking about Christmas, lots and lots, uh, let's not just stop at number one. He appeared in the flesh. Right, I'll stop there. Draw a line under that. That's all I'm going to think about. No, we follow the story through. As the, the, the carol, Christians Awake, it encourages us to do just that. There's a line there about trace we the babe. And I was thinking sort of tracing. I sort of remember being a child and sort of tracing. That's sort of going over something with a bit of tissue paper or something like that. But it's tracing like following. Trace where he's going. It says, oh, may we keep and ponder in our mind God's wondrous love in saving lost mankind. Trace we the babe who has retrieved our loss from his poor manger to his bitter cross. Tread in his steps assisted by his grace. Till man's first heavenly state again takes place. It's a trace, trace the movement. Trace it down, 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 down. And trace it all the way back up again. Perhaps you're here this morning, this isn't what you expected. Um, This wasn't who you have been thinking the child in the manger is. He's just a baby. But can I encourage you to take this seriously? That that child in Bethlehem was there before there was a Bethlehem. This whole planet was his idea. And then he appeared in the flesh. So whether this is a new song for you or an old classic or a new favourite, I really do pray for us. This helps us see who we're dealing with at Christmas. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, for all that he is. We thank you for how rightly we stop to remember the first stage of this at Christmas, the coming down, the appearing in the flesh. Father, I pray that you would widen and deepen our understanding of who he is so that we would acknowledge him not only as the one who came, but as the one who's been vindicated and seen and preached and believed on and received. And we thank you so much for him. We praise you for the Lord Jesus. Amen.